the end of the day, the performance will speak for itself. I do believe that. And diversity makes us all better. We have to listen, though, and, and really understand where someone is coming from, why they're putting up that resistance or asking those questions. And it may require a little bit of going slow to go fast as well. Reflecting back on some of the experiences I had earlier in my career, you're hard charging. And sometimes you have to slow down and hear what other people are saying and listen. And they're going to be setbacks. They're going to be moments that feel tough and challenging and difficult. But if you're communicating well, if you're building that trust and listening to your partners and respecting their perspectives and the voices around the table, I think that's when the magic happens, when you start to see that change really settle in. And the performance and the outcomes will show us. Again, investing in diversity, full stop, is a strategy that I think will deliver great returns to investors. Hey there. I know I've said this multiple times on various occasions, but this much I know is still true. Investing in women is the smartest thing you could do right now. And yet, in many parts of the world, it's shocking to think that this statement can be controversial. But we must remain steadfast. Progress is never linear. This was well articulated by Erin Harkless Moore, Senior Director of Investments at Pivotal Ventures, a Melinda French Gates company created to drive social equity in the world of investment. Well, we are bringing back Aaron's episode aired last year, where we discussed everything from the mission of Pivotal Ventures and her investment strategy to why Melinda French Gates is still betting a billion dollars on women. This is a must listen. Welcome to Billion Dollar Moves. I'm Sergeant Spellings, and on the show, I travel across the globe in search of the unexpected leader. Every week, it is my job to deconstruct the billion dollar moves of unicorn founders and funders, many of them underestimated long before they became iconic. Many of them unexpected leaders just like you. This show is about unfiltered conversations on success, failure, fear, and courage in the pursuit of the next big thing in tech and venture. Now, before we hop in here, I have a quick favor to ask you. About 80% of the listeners of this podcast have yet to hit the follow button. And it would really help me out if you would smash that follow button wherever you're tuning in from. The bigger the show gets, the bigger the guests get, and the more stories we can amplify across the global venture ecosystem so that we can all keep making billion dollar moves together. Now, let's get started. How did you then come to find this opportunity with Melinda Gates? Every day I wake up and I'm almost wondering, is this a dream? Because I feel like I have the best job in the world and Pivotal has allowed me to do that, to live my values every day. I was very fortunate to be approached about this opportunity to lead the investment team at Pivotal a little over three, gosh, now almost four years ago. And as I said, when I got that call, I, I thought someone was playing a prank on me. I said, this can't be a real job. And I learned quickly that it was. Melinda's commitment, her willingness and ability to use her voice, her platform as a philanthropist, as an investor, to drive change is incredibly impactful. And to sit in the seat that I sit in driving our investment portfolio allows me to do that every day, to interact with some amazing women, fund managers and founders that are building businesses and innovation that's going to drive our economy forward. Gender is foundational to moving our country, our society forward. And we use a couple of different levers at Pivotal to do that. Philanthropy, 
high impact strategic partnerships, policy and advocacy work, and investing. All four of those are essential to moving the needle across a variety of themes, like building a more equitable caregiving system in our country, getting more women into tech and STEM so that they can build the businesses that are going to drive innovation for our country, activating more women into public office. We're sitting here in in the Washington area. I live in DC and in the dysfunction, frankly, that's occurring all around town and at the Capitol. I'd argue if we have more women in power, we might be seeing some different results. So we're trying to create the conditions for women to control more resources in our country. And investment capital is an essential part of that as well. Yeah. So I want to go back to, you know, when you had the first meeting with Melinda and you were sort of thinking about the impact that someone like her, with her resources, her connections, capital connections capability, right? To be able to create the change that we all want to see in the world. Because we, we work with a lot of next generations, right? Who have some of that access as well. How should someone with that level of ability, connections, what I call the three C's, connections, capability, capital, think about where is my biggest point of impact? And how did she land on, all right, it's going to be women and girls. Melinda's long been a champion for women and girls. So for her, my sense is that's been a, her core value and, and a motivating factor for her and her life as a businesswoman, a philanthropist, and an, and an investor. So that was clear is, is our mission objective and the outcomes that we want to see and drive towards. From an investment lens, again, if we're not putting more capital in the hands of women, we're going to be locking them out of the innovation that's going to drive our country forward tomorrow. So we think, again, about the tools, the resources that that Melinda, that our principal has, that we have to deploy. And it's all of those to drive change and impact. One alone is insufficient. They all have to be working together. But the investment capital is so important. And the time is now. I mean, despite the work that we're doing at Pivotal, some of the data is not great, Sarah. You know, still 16% of decision makers, check writers at venture capital firms in the United States are women. Only 2% of venture funding goes to female founders, female-led teams. Let's pause for a second. I mean, 2%, that's terrible. We could be doing so much more, so much better. And that's the core of what's driving our investment strategy. And again, us seeing the resources that we have to be able to deploy more capital against that that problem, getting more capital in the hands of women investors and decision makers so that we can build the type of businesses that we want to see in our society. Diversity initiatives are under attack. Yes. Women of color, Black women specifically as well, at a time when we desperately need investment. And we're hearing all this pushback, right? You know, a lot of these initiatives are pulling back. Mm -hmm. Thinking back to the time when you have experienced that in your previous chapter, is this the same feeling of what's happening in the moment, you know, what was the biggest pushback and how did you address it back in the day? Back in the day, again, it's all about building that consensus and listening. I think sometimes we lose track of how important it is to meet people where they are and understand their perspectives, even if there's a difference in opinion, and work to build that trust and dialogue uh, together to move forward to something that's more productive. Sarah, you asked specifically, I mean, the news today is disheartening. It's it's challenging. Black women, women of color are, are under attack in various lawsuits, et cetera, that are being filed every day as a Black woman myself, I, I feel that. 
acutely. I, I say a lawsuit against one is a lawsuit against all of us. But we're not stopping our work. I'm not stopping my work. We're not stopping our work at Pivotal Ventures. To achieve gender parity in our society, we need to have women of color be a part of that full stop. And we're going to keep doing that work and pushing, but listening at the same time and bringing hopefully others along with us. Thinking about your time in Cambridge Associates when you had that pushback from clients, what can we learn from that in actually maneuvering this tough moment that we're in to be able to invest in the change we want to see? At the end of the day, the performance will speak for itself. I do believe that. And diversity makes us all better. We have to listen though and and really understand where someone is coming from why they're putting up that resistance or asking those questions and it may require a little bit of going slow to go fast as well reflecting back on some of the experiences i had earlier in my career you're hard charging you're like i want to get this done i want to make this investment i want to make this commitment And sometimes you have to slow down and hear what other people are saying and listen and know that this journey, this fight that we're in, it's a long one. And there are going to be setbacks. There are going to be moments that feel tough and challenging and difficult. But if you're communicating well, if you're building that trust and listening to your partners and respecting their perspectives and the voices around the table, I think that's when the magic happens, when you start to see that change really settle in and the performance and the outcomes will show us. Again, investing in diversity full stop is a strategy that I think will deliver great returns to investors. And and Erin, you know, I'm on your side. This is the work that we live and breathe every day, but there is still resistance. It's easy to stick with the status quo, right? No one gets fired for continuing to invest in a fund that's maybe been around for 10, 20, 30 years to to stick with strategies or, or people from a certain pedigree or background that feel safe and trusted. We have to examine the incentives as well that are in place. I feel very privileged to sit in the seat that I sit in at Pivotal Ventures, where our mission is to drive social progress create more equality and opportunity for people here in the United States. Gender is essential to that. That's the world I want to see. Looking at consultants, because you were there for a significant period of time, right? Arguably, in the recent years, we started seeing a lot with the anti-woke movement, anti-ESG and all of these things. And consultants are, frankly, under fire on what to do because they have client needs, they have other stakeholders, and they've got their firm to run as well. How do you think investment consultants specifically should be thinking about this time in advising their clients and stewarding this capital? It's an excellent question, Sarah. Consultants are often described as the gatekeepers. They work with some of the best and largest institutions, endowments, foundations, families, pension funds. All of our jobs as fiduciaries is, is again, to promote the interests of our clients and the portfolios and drive great results. And to ignore whole swaths of people, women, people of color, and investing to me is not being a good fiduciary. So I think it's incumbent upon the consultants to have those conversations. They're tough, right? Some clients may push back, may not like it. It takes time, but if you listen, if you go back to the data, I think that's what's going to move the needle forward more meaningfully. Market returns, above market returns, that's all great. Yes. Yes. Um, And we were sort of mapping this out a little bit in, in your office, you know, months ago when we were together, about the strategy here, right? Yes. With the investment capital and the different levers that you're deploying, whether that's through fund managers, so changing the face of who writes the check, yes. some direct deals to drive the innovation that we want to see. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you thought about the strategy here? 
Love that question, Sarah. Our investment strategy has those two pillars, investments into funds that are women-owned and led to start to move the needle against those stats, the 16% of female check writers in U.S. venture firms. We want to get more capital in the hands of women that are making the decisions and backing the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. We also want to deploy capital directly as an investor into companies that are tackling and some of the big problems and innovations that will create better solutions for caregivers, that care economy that we've been discussing. So both of those together are going to allow us to tackle the problems of facing female founders and funders. We see them as sort of very closely tied together in essential parts of our investment strategy. So a billion dollars was Melinda's commitment. Where are we today? What's the update? Yes, we are continuing to deploy capital, scaling the portfolio of both fund and direct company investments. It's exciting. I think of some of our our relationships with our partners as a family too. And I love both my children equally. Some days I might like (laughs) one more than the other. And so, you know, when you're talking and asking about our progress, it's it's hard. I would love to share with the listeners and you can go to our website and follow up and see some of our partners. They're all building and doing amazing things. But a couple of examples Examples, I think that illustrate the the progress that we've made and the path that we're on. We incubated and anchored a fund at Pivotal called Magnify Ventures that's tackling that caregiving crisis, investing in technology that supports modern families. They raised $52 million, have been deploying that over the past few years now into some really interesting companies. One uh, called Milo, which is a personal assistant leveraging AI for the home. So we look to a, a fund investment like Magnify that was helping to catalyze this market as, as a success as some of those companies are now growing and scaling. One other example, we invested in Impact America Fund led by Keisha Cash. They raised $112 million this year, one of the largest raises by a Black woman in venture. And they are investing in lower moderate income communities, Black and brown communities, the products and services that will uplift folks in our society is that team. And they raised that fund much more quickly than their last fund. I think that's a testament to the partnership of limited partners like us and others who are willing to invest early, perhaps bring a more creative lens to our diligence to get to a yes and, and allow that success to, to come to bear. I love that last point there, getting to a yes. In this fundraising environment, which feels for many like a fundraising winter, can you talk to us a little bit about why that 16% number is still the reality today of women writing the checks when, you know, we see a lot more women in finance, actually, at least in the, in the early, early entry levels. levels. Yeah. The key pipeline happens and all that. Talk to us a little bit about that, the structural problem that exists and how are you thinking about that? As an investor, we're in the business of pattern recognition. And unfortunately, still a lot of the patterns, we we are creating more of them every day with our investments at Pivotal and that many others are, are making still are not enough women to point to. And as we have built our process, this is one of the things that that makes us differentiated and and I'd even say unique at, at Pivotal. One, we try to invest early to tackle that question you asked about the fundraising winter, it's, it is hard out there through our diligence to, to get to that yes, and then be a signal to others to join us around the table, sharing our diligence and being as collaborative as possible with other limited partners so that they can get to yes as quickly as possible. And we can you know, start to speed up and knock down some of those barriers that are holding women back. Also on the process front, 
just trying to check some of the biases that are in place. And, and this gets back to your question too, Sarah. It's it's all about the patterns. I would love to see someone that has 10 years of experience and a brand name, you know, Sand Hill Road firm with their audited track record. And I can look at each company and vet that. That may not exist though. And, and there are some folks that have raised funds that have that pedigree and profile, but there are many others out there that do not. And I'm constantly asking the question, what risk are we trying to assess or get comfortable with or, or try and minimize as much as, as in, gain an understanding around as much as we can in, in our investment diligence process? Seeing the value of someone who has maybe been an operator for a decade, how that fits to the strategy they want to execute. And using that as a mosaic of building a track record that, again, may not fit the traditional markers, but honors the experience that say this woman operator is bringing to the table that will allow her to build a fund that will be successful and, and ultimately deliver value back to us as limited partners and also to the founders that they're supporting. I get a lot from LPs. Look, we're doing the access play, right? Access play meaning we have a small venture allocation, 10%. I'm going to spend that on brand names. Like, and, and I want to prove, even if I'm a family office, and that's a whole different topic altogether. Right. Uh, I need to prove to the patriarch that I can get into the sequoias of the world. Mm -hmm. Why should I take all this risk for, frankly, returns in venture uh, has not been as it seems, right? With interest rates, are things going to change? You know, what would you say to that pushback? Excellent pushback. I've heard it. I've heard it before. I go back to the data. What does the data show us? My former employer, Cambridge Associates, reams of, of data on this and has shown that Emerging managers, typically funds one to four, when you look vintage year over vintage year, outperform. Funds that are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. To me, that makes the case for, you should, sure, if you can get access to Sequoia, have Sequoia, but you should also be looking to the talent of tomorrow that's perhaps more diverse, bringing different perspectives to the table and carving out a portion of your 10% allocation or whatever the number may be to those funds as well, because the performance has, has spoken for itself. And I think, you know, again, just relying on those old patterns, you're going to miss out on innovation too. Those diverse perspectives and, and backgrounds are going to bring, are going to see the challenges and problems and maybe come at them, solve them in a different way. The family office community specifically, I've always found it to be very open. Once you're in that network, people want to co-invest together. They want to do deals together with other like-minded families and, and thought partners. And so if, if you're a next gen, join some of the communities that are geared towards next gen investors and start sharing ideas and deal flow and testing out your thesis. Then get the buy-in. That's essential too. And, and that involves some of the more complicated conversations as we've spoken about governance. That's hard work, but you have to set the conditions of governance to have a successful investment program, full stop. So I'd encourage people to start deploying lean on your networks and your peers and, and make sure that the decision-making architecture around it has the space to do these type of investments that you're excited about exploring. And there you have it, folks, our short but powerful bite featuring Erin Harkless Moore. This episode released on what I believe is perfect timing as we celebrate Black History Month and soon International Women's Month. As always, I'd encourage you to listen to the full episode that will be linked in the show notes. In the meantime, Keep making billion dollar moves. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. For more inspiring conversations just like this to help you lead, build, and invest better, 
follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on socials on Billion Dollar Moves Podcast and Sarah Chen Global. And yes, if you want to keep hearing from us, pledge your support for the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating on Spotify, and telling a friend. I'd really appreciate it. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings, and you've been listening to Billion Dollar Moves.